Well, guys, so glad to be with you this morning. My name is Tyler Hardy. If you're if you're new here, I'm lead pastor. And before I jump in the message, I want to honor some people real quick. If you're not aware, this summer we had something called Engage the Nations, and um, at Antioch every summer we strongly encourage people, specifically college students, to take us up on the opportunity to go overseas to work alongside with one of our church plants around the world uh, and to get ministry experience and get to share the gospel and to make disciples. Um, This is a real mission trip, right? And so that's what we do for two or three weeks. We also have something called an internship, which is three months long. And we actually just a couple of days ago on Thursday, uh, 60-plus people from our church had just been gone for three months overseas. That's a lot of people. And they just came back, so they're experiencing a little bit of culture shock, everything from having ice cubes to free refills. Um, Those things are not over there. And so they are back. So if you did Engage the Nations this summer and just got back, I want you to stand real quick. Come on, stand to your feet if you just got back. And just as they're standing, I want you to know, you guys can sit down. I want you to know, this isn't all 60 if you're doing the math. Many of them have not seen family for three months. And so they just got done with a two-day debrief on Saturday afternoon yesterday and booked it home. But you'll be seeing them. I just want to encourage the church family, it's a lot to sacrifice and to go for the whole summer. So if you get to know one of these folks or if they're in your life group, just love on them, encourage them, welcome them back in the family. and just uh, and, and listen to them. Listen to the stories of God. Listen to what they just did. Because I want you to know, it's not just their experience, it's our experience. Like, we want them and are encouraging them to bring it back here. So if you sit down to have a cup of coffee, you're expecting just to talk about Aggie football, and they're all of a sudden downloading to you the kingdom of God and what just happened in Africa, just gear up, right? Because they've got stories to tell you, and they're probably going to challenge you, all right? So if you're looking... Just for the encourager, you're going to get that, but you're going to get someone who's going to challenge you in your faith because they just experienced something different than they've ever experienced, and we need that in this church. Amen? We want them to come burst our bubble. All right. Thank you, Jesus. Well, um, this is the last week of our summer-long biblical series, and we've taken the last two weeks, and this is week three of talking about finances, biblical finances. And um, if you haven't uh, gotten to be part of the other sermons, I would highly encourage you. Two weeks ago, Andrew Storm spoke. Uh, and I uh, did an incredible job. Uh, I want you to listen to that. He just talked about our heart posture, really, which is everything in the realm of giving, finances, generosity has to do with our heart posture first. And Jesus over and over spoke to that. And then Chris did a great job last week of just really unpacking the reality that God is calling us to be faithful, faithful to whatever you've been given. Remember, he is the great giver we get to receive. So God has given you, whether it's one, five, ten talents, whether you look at that as money, you look at that as the gospel, you look at that as giftings, God's actually expecting us to give him a return on his investment, right? Did you know you're an investment? God has actually invested in you. He spent a lot of time thinking about how he's going to shape you and wire you and gift you, where he's going to position you in this world, and it's for a purpose. So we have to know, again, that God is in the business of coming back and expecting you to show him what you've done with the life you've been given. Amen? Jesus didn't die on the cross for nothing and raised from the dead, so he's expecting us to live this resurrected life. Today we're going to keep going on finances. We're going to turn the corner a little bit and just go a little more practical here. And so, um, again, if your heart's not in it, then just go back two weeks. 
Um, if you're not sure how to be faithful, go back to last week. And today, we're going to get real practical, okay? So um, first of all, you know, why are we talking about biblical finances? Um, because many times, our attitude and our actions communicate, I have it under control, right? Like, I got this, bro. Like, I don't need your help. But, you know, Barna, uh, George Barna, there's a lot of research surveying across the country. They recently did a survey about a year ago surveying Christians, so self-identified Christians, and was talking about their motivations in regards to money and possessions and finances. And here's what they found. They kind of divide everybody up into two groups. These are Christians, and these two groups, you were either a giver or a keeper. And so 50% of the people they surveyed were put in the category of givers, and 35% were put in the category of keepers, and the others were kind of somewhere in between. So I looked at that and said, okay, that's encouraging. We're right at almost the majority of Christians actually would be givers. Like, that's encouraging and at the same time discouraging, right? Because how can we be salt and light if we're not different, right? Like, the world's mentality is to be a keeper. But for some reason, 35% of us identify as the keeper crowd, which is more or less, I'm interested in my happiness. I'm interested in doing things I want to do when I want to do them. Life is really about me. Versus a giver is actually life is about what God wants and what God wants to do in people's lives. So the givers actually are very interested in taking care of family. They're very interested in charitable contributions. They're very interested in giving not just the realm of money, but their time and energy and their efforts. They're interested in giving it away, which I'm pretty sure Jesus set the standard for that. So the reason why we're talking about it is because we're not the perfect model, and honestly, we have to be more salty than we are. It, you just do. And, and I just want to take a moment to say it's not just in finances. It is in every area. Like, our marriages need to be salty. Like, your marriage needs to be one that others look at and they say, wow, what is it about your marriage that makes it so different? What is it about the fact you're able to forgive her after doing that to you? What is it about the fact you're still opening the door? You're still honoring your wife. You're still pursuing her even though she said yes 15 years ago. You're still treating her like she's your first love, like you're loving. Like, what is it about that, right? And, and it, if we can't demonstrate to the world the saltiness and the kingdom reality in our lives, then what do we have to give them? Because talk can be cheap, right? So we're interested in being salty, okay? So we're talking about finances because, to be quite honest, we don't have it under control. We don't got this, right? And we need the Word of God, again, to help us, to guide us. And ultimately, with finances, what is our ultimate goal? We want to go to the next level in freedom and blessing. I, I am never satisfied with status quo. You may be, I am not. I do not want just to be above average dad, right? Or just good enough American or just above average faithful Christian. I'm never interested in just status quo or just beating the median, right? And if that's you, I would encourage you to pray and seek God. God, why am I complacent? Why am I complacent in my life? Why have I given up? And the truth is, there's areas of our lives we give up, but I want you to know that Jesus provides hope into every area. If you feel hopeless, guess what? There's an answer for you. It's Jesus. Jesus, restore my hope for my children. I feel like a horrible parent. Jesus, restore my hope. Give me courage again to try again. Jesus, I feel like I failed last year as a freshman in college. I'm not even sure what I'm doing. Jesus, restore my hope that I can excel academically. Jesus, restore my hope in the workplace. Restore my hope. Lord, I had this great exercise plan from January 1st to January 10th, and it went really well. 
But God, restore my hope because I haven't worked out in four months and I'm eating horrible. God, restore my hope, right? Jesus is the solution, not other people. He is the solution. Other people are secondary. They are a support to the instructions and the vision and the value in the heart of Jesus. That's why we need the church. Don't go be a solo Christian on an island. But without Christ, this is kind of useless. All right? Okay, here we go. We're back to finances. All right, so, um, man, this is what happens. You don't talk for a while. Um, so, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, we're getting ready for school, and we're doing the, like, summer cleaning at the Hardy House, which I love summer cleaning, but there's never enough time to do it all, right? So we kind of picked our kids' rooms, went after the boys' room, and uh, they had these bunk beds, Ethan and Graham do, and they've been talking for a while about, hey, let's kind of get rid of the bunk bed thing, so, so we did, right? And so we moved the bunk beds, had to, uh, I think I asked Ray Evans to come over and help me uh, offload one of these or else I was going to die, and so we moved these bunk beds down, and we started moving the furniture around. They got two dressers, two beds, and started moving everything around. And, man, behind the bunk beds was a treasure trove. I got a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. Let me just say, they don't go to bed at 8 o'clock. They, we put them in their beds, and then they're, like, awake for hours. Who knows what they're doing? They're drawing. They're putting stuff. And there's, there are Legos. There are marbles. There are markers. There is food. There is shirts. There is, like, what, what, oh, we finally found that shoe. You know what I mean? There's so much stuff back there. And so I said, get the trash can, you know? So, I mean, we kept some, but we chucked a lot. Because it was just junk. It was a bunch of junk that had been hiding behind our bed until we actually chose to physically go in there and move it and do something about it. And so why are we talking about this stuff? Because, guys, we got junk in our bedroom we got to sort out, right? Like, we need God to clear out the junk when it comes to finances, all the stuff that we're bitter about, frustrated about, angry about, disappointed about, blah, 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 blah. It's all a bunch of stuff that Jesus wants to say, hey, throw in the trash and come to me fresh again, okay? So you guys ready to come to Jesus fresh again when it comes to finances, all right? Now, in order to do this, to make it a little more fun, because I know we're talking about finances and we all get a little squeamish and awkward, I don't know why, Jesus talked about it more than any other subject in the entirety of the Bible. He didn't get squeamish about it. He was pretty straightforward. But we do, so it's okay. We're in progress. But I'm going to make it fun for us, okay? You remember that game you used to play? I hope this is the game you used to play. If you still play this game, we'll talk later. It's called Truth or Dare, right? And so when you were kids, you know, it's Truth or Dare. You're immature. This is like elementary school, maybe in the middle school stuff, right? And so you're like, Truth or Dare. And honestly, let's all think back. That game was not healthy, okay? So like... In that game, you either got totally embarrassed and made you more insecure, or you had to do something stupid you never would have done if your mom was watching, right? So this is what truth or dare was. So we're going to redeem things because, you know, Jesus is in the business of redeeming everything, right? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy what God had created and intended for good. Okay, so look at something and say, man, that's really bad. Actually, ask the question, how could Jesus redeem that thing that's actually been twisted? So he's got something good for it, Right? So that is what we're doing today. So we're not going to call it truth or dare. We're going to call it truth and dare. You ready? I'm about to give you a truth, and I'm about to dare you. So if you like being dared, you came on the right day. All right? Truth number one. Everything, you need to write these down, by the way. Everything belongs to God. These are five truths that you need to hold on to today, okay? Truth one, everything belongs to God. Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. The earth is the Lord's. Huh. 
that's a lot of, oh, that's everything. The earth is the Lord's, and all it contains, not just the animals and the plants and the oceans and the fish, that includes humans. That includes the stuff. That includes the materials. Did you know that everything that we have in this world, it actually came from the earth in some way, shape, or form. They manipulated it, put a little chemistry to it, and here you go, right? But everything, it comes, right? So everything we're harvesting out of this earth, it all is the Lord's, right? And to those who dwell in it, which would be us. So let's start with that premise. Everything is God's. Nothing is mine. Nothing's mine. It's on loan. I get to borrow it. I get to use it. I get to steward it, but it ain't. It ain't mine, right? So the question is, does everything belong to God or does it belong to you, right? And so if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you've already decided, I'm putting my faith and trust, my life, my well-being in his hands. Therefore, I have to trust him and submit to him as Lord and Savior. More or less, it's kind of having the open-handed lifestyle, right? It's living open-handed. We've seen this illustration before. Are we going to be tight-fisted about something open-handed? In fact, my wife, about 11, 12 years ago, before we ever moved here to plant this church, um, one day we happened to be serving as greeters at Antioch Waco. And I don't know how she came to this, but she was reading the word and just felt convicted about the Lord kind of showing her there's things that she wanted to be possessive of. And so I remember on, uh, she had told me like a couple days prior, she said, hey, for the next seven days, I think, for the next week, anyone that compliments on something that I'm wearing, I'm going to give to them. Okay. So, like, she was talking about, like, accessories and shoes and stuff. She's like, hey, if I can give it to him, I will. I'm like, okay, just thinking, okay, that's not going to happen, right? So we're there Sunday morning at Antioch, and she's greeting. And this girl walks up, and it's kind of the fall weather. As she's got this scarf on, and the girl goes, that's such a cute scarf. And as she's in the moment, she's like, I committed to the Lord. She's like, hey, you can have it. She's like, what? She's like, yeah, I want you to have this scarf. I would, you think it's, I'd love for you to bless you with it. She's like, really? Like, Wow, okay, you know, and she totally blessed this young lady who goes into church, and I'm like, where's your scarf? She's like, I gave it away. I was like, why'd you give it away? Because someone complimented it. I was like, what just happened, you know? I mean, give away your stuff. And, but she was faithful because she was trying to say to the Lord, Lord, test me in this. Does, do any of us pray? Test me, God? Hey, maybe we should. Hey, Lord, put me to the test. See, the Lord will put you to the test whether you want him to or not, but I'd rather invite him. You know what I'm saying? Uh, hey, feeling pretty good, healthy, I got good sleep. All right, Lord, time to test me, right? Usually it's funny you're, you're pretty low there, right? So I would encourage those believers to start asking God, hey, God, test me right now. I'm ready to go, right? So go ahead and initiate that test with the Lord because he wants to see if our hearts are really there. Right? Put your money where your mouth is, right? So that's what God is doing. I want us to be encouraged. Number one truth, everything belongs to God. So what's the dare? Don't we dare you to do something? You ready? Loosen your grip on money and possessions and allow God to show you their intended use. The dare is this, to loosen your grip on money and possessions and allow God to show you their intended use. We think we know, but we don't know until we ask him to show us, right? All right, truth number two. Relationships are worth more than possessions. Relationships are worth more than possessions. In Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 15, says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell me, or tell my brother to divide their inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist 
and the abundance of his possessions. Woo. One's life does not consist of his abundance of his possessions. You know what the word covet means? To desire unlawfully or to secure illegitimately, right? To to covet something is to want to go get it that actually doesn't belong to you. It's actually not deserving of you. And so when our eyes are fixed on everything we don't have, we tend to get a little locked into that mode of, oh, if I just have that, it'll make me feel better, right? I mean, we live in a day and age of that. I mean, that is what marketing does. That's why they collect all the data on you, know where you go and where you swipe your credit card and all that sort of stuff. Yes, they track your movements, everything. And that way they give you the targeted ads to make that wanter inside of you want that thing. And you're like, well, wouldn't you know it? I was interested in a new phone and I got an email. Wow, shocker, right? It's like, well, yes, they knew that and they paid good money to know that because they know you set foot in AT&T and didn't buy a phone. So now they're going to send you an email. Right? It's actually our society now, more than ever, is targeting you. And don't feel special. <laughs> right? Like, now, 50 years ago, someone gets you that perfect birthday present. Hey, wow, that guy's prophetic, right? I mean, he knows. Now, no, they just track you, okay? So just be aware of that, okay? Why do I say that? Because sometimes we tend to give the credit to the possessions and the things and instead, we miss the relationships, right? I said this before, guys. Your children, if you don't have kids, you one day will, most of you. Your children do not want more stuff. They want more of you. They want more of you. I know society doesn't tell us that. They actually want you. No device, no shirt, no experience can replace you. And can I say friends are the same way? Like, we actually are made for relationship. That's what God did in the Garden of Eden. That's what he's still doing today. Don't be distracted by the possessions. In fact, there was a study I mentioned a couple years ago. This lady did this study on a campus. She's a professor, and she was trying to figure out what would college students do with money. And, and, and would they be happier if they, if they were given an allotment of money and they either spent it on themselves or gave it away? So I think she gave something like 100 bucks to each college student, and they had like a day. And so did this whole survey, this whole test, brought them back, and overwhelmingly, it was the college students that actually gave the money away that were way more happy than the ones who spent on themselves, right? But the, but the thing we're taught is that just do what you need to do for you, and you'll be happy. That's actually not true. It actually decreases your happiness. It decreases your joy, which is why we're talking about finances and generosity and all this stuff. It's like it is so much more joyful to secretly put in an envelope 50 bucks and give it away to a friend, and they never know who gave it to them right, then to go spend that 50 bucks on yourself. It's, it's fact. It's not, it's not an opinion. It is fact. It is true. It's like gravity, okay? When we are generous and joyful, oh, it is so fun to honor those people and to be part of that process. So here's my dare for you. Ready? The dare is invest in relationships more than stuff. Now, that has money associated with it. That has time associated with it. Anything you want to associate, invest more in relationships than in the stuff. Truth number three, here we go. <clears throat> this is actually my favorite one today. You ready? Truth number three, <clears throat> the Ten Commandments are still commandments. You ready? The Ten Commandments are still commandments. Yes, I know Moses went up, got angry, broke the two tablets, and then God gave him another set, okay? <clears throat> but the Ten Commandments are not going away. Jesus did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. He fulfilled it, and then he said, hey, guess what? 
There's the Ten Commandments, and this deals with the service level practicalities, but I'm about to show you a whole kingdom that just goes way deeper. It's every commandment taken right down to the gut, to the soul, to the heart. Right? It's not just do not commit adultery. It is we are not lusting. We are not looking upon another. We are not fantasizing about anything else because that is sin. It's not just sleeping with the other person. It's actually having the thoughts of it. It's like, whoa, that's a whole new paradigm. Jesus is saying it's a matter of your heart because God is interested in what your heart is doing. If the heart is right, the rest of it will get in order, right? So the Ten Commandments are still commandments. Exodus chapter 20 lists out the Ten Commandments. I'm going to show you a few. Number, commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number two, you shall make no idols. Commandment number eight, anyone know? You don't know. You shall not steal. You should, we should probably read these again, people. Number 10, you shall not covet. So I find four right there having to do with finances. Right there. Have no other gods before me. Has anyone ever heard of, I know it wouldn't be anyone in this room, of anyone kind of idolizing money? Right? We've heard of that, right? Um, you shall make no idols, right? Put anything before God. Anyone ever hear, hey, my career's taken off, so I can't do church anymore. I can't be part of that life group because, you know, my career's really... Well, you're just putting the idol of your career, of the money, and the success of that over the Lord, right? Um, you shall not steal. That's pretty clear. You don't steal. And then you shall not covet. So four out of ten are actually pretty explicitly there about God is supposed to be king. God is our provider. And by the way, we need to submit to that and trust him. Matthew 6, to 24 says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? <clears throat> no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. I love this because then it says what? You cannot serve God and money. Other translations, God and mammon. You cannot serve God and money, God and stuff. You got to pick. We try to toe the line, though. We, we like to do that. No, no, I'm good. I'm, me and Jesus are good, but this is also pretty good, too. You can't serve both. You've got to pick who will be master over you. And the truth is, guys, the eye, he's talking about this, and he goes, and you cannot serve God in money. Why is he talking about our eyes, our vision? Because, guys, this is, this is the entry point into everything else that's coming in here. It's what we see, what we look upon, what we desire, what we elevate, right? <clears throat> If you remember, idolatry in the Old Testament, they didn't have audio recordings, right? So they didn't, they didn't like, make the golden calf, and, the, and it was mooing. And everyone's bowing down to the mooing calf. It was a visual. It was what their eyes were fixed on. They were fixed on this golden calf. They were fixed on these idols. That's what they were fixed on. It was where their eyes were, which would show them the trueness of their heart. But if your eyes are fixed on the things of God, if your eyes are fixed on looking at Jesus and living in a life like that, man, it's totally different. You're letting light to shine in instead of the darkness to take root. You know, um, as a loan officer several years ago before uh, we planted a church, I was a loan officer at a company, it was a small company, only seven employees. And um, uh, it was interesting, there was one summer where... Um, out of our seven employees, three employees just kind of took off. And, you know, we were a good kind of family atmosphere. Everyone was kind of buddy-buddy. Um, but then things started getting tight financially for the company. People weren't making as many sales as they were used to making. So people got a little, like, their real self came out. 
you, you know that, right? Like when you go on a mission trip and you're exhausted and you're 36 hours in to no shower, all you've eaten is airline food, your real self shows up, right? And so when things get tight financially, the true self shows up. You can hide it all day long, but also when things get tight, it's like, uh-oh, who am I really? Well, <clears throat> that happened in our company. Um, the three events that actually happened was that within the span of about four to six weeks, um, one lady literally quit in the middle of the night, broke into the office, and she stole a bunch of files for her new company she could work for. So she stole, like, clients and stuff and information from there. Um, uh, another lady literally cursed out our boss and just went crazy on him for 30 minutes, stormed out of the office, and she was done. And then another guy, literally, the, um, the night of our boss's wedding, he was actually getting wet, he was, he was, he was getting married, um, <clears throat> he decided to resign that night. Fired off an email, took his stuff, and took off. Like, while he was gone, the opposite was to face him. And I'm thinking, wow. Now, all three of these people were like in their 30s and 40s, and I'm 24 at the time. And um, I got to see firsthand a little small company, it just totally blow up because everyone was happy as long as the money was flowing. But when that started getting tight, they just went crazy. Why? Because their eyes were fixed on something other than God. They were fixed on the current moment, the current success. You know, the word serve here, when he says you cannot serve God in money, is meaning slave, not employee. Right? Which means a follower of Jesus cannot have his loyalties divided, meaning you cannot be a slave to money and a slave to God. Yes, we are called sons of God, but in this context, as we speak about it, it really is saying, I am all yours. I'm completely surrendered. I've laid down my rights. I'm giving to you, God. That is the imagery we're going with. Are you fully surrendered, or is it on your own terms, right? The last thing I want to share about this is that um, money is not the problem. It's our attachment to it, right? Like, it's not the problem. It's our attachment to it. You know, your phones are not the problem. It's your attachment to it. Do you understand? Like, your job is not the problem. It's your attachment to the title. Right? Like, that, like those things, like, you can have a great title at a job. Just don't let that be your identity. Just know, hey, I'm in and out of this season. Great. I'll be thankful for whatever I get. It's when we start lacking the perspective of who God is and where he's put us is when he gets us into trouble. So truth number three, Ten Commandments are still commandments. The dare there is be a servant of God and a steward of money. Be a servant of God and a steward of money. You can say be a servant of God and a master over money. Don't allow money to master you. You be the master of it. Amen? All right, truth number four. Here we go. Being open with your finances keeps us honest and humble. Andrew mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in his sermon, but being open with your finances keeps us honest and humble. Proverbs talks a lot about finances and our heart and what's going on. I just want to read um, uh, here in Proverbs 1, verse 5. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Um, it's awkward to be open and honest about our finances because um, if we are honest about it, there's things about it that we don't like, <laughs> whether it's how little we make or maybe it's we don't give or maybe we spend way too much on this or that and the other. I think Andrew talked a couple weeks ago about just how you just look at the credit card statement. You can kind of see where your heart is, where you put most of your money, you know. Not that everything's things are bad. You need to eat food, so I would hope food to be somewhere on the list, you know. Um, 
but it does kind of show you where you put your energy, where you put your money. And, you know, it was a humbling experience for Ashley and I, before we planted this church 10 years ago, um, we actually had to raise support. Uh, and so if you don't know how we started, we started with a small little team of people. Um, and we just started meeting in the city and found a place, the Hilton Hotel, and began meeting. But leading up to that, we had to raise support through friends and family. So <clears throat> because I was quitting my job and doing full-time pastoral ministry. And um, we went through this, you know, Excel spreadsheet budget. And, you know, <clears throat> today a lot of times we have people just, you kind of share the kind of five main areas, you know, 10% goes to this, 30%. It wasn't like that. I mean, it was down to the $12 haircut. It was, it was, it was more detailed than you ever wanted. Probably 100 line items, honestly. And um, <clears throat> I remember sitting down with people. Hey, how you doing? Well, we're interested in you being a financial partner with us, and we're planting a church, and we explain all that. And the last page of the thing was, hey, here's the budget. You know, and you're always kind of like, what are they going to say about our budget? You know, because you're confident, but also a little insecure. Like, I'm about to show them where every dollar is going to go if they will give to us, and we're going to show them we're going to be accountable for that. How many of us do that? I mean, do you have to show your budget to 75 people who are actually friends, family, people are going to see at Christmas, Thanksgiving? Like, think about that. Think if everybody had to show everyone else in their immediate circle of life, here's my budget. Woo! Talking about being honest and keeping you humble, that's when it gets real, y'all. But you know what that did? It was so freeing. Because we worked it through and we said, you know what, we don't need to do that. Or, you know, I remember sitting down with a supervisor or a, someone at Antioch who was helping us walk through the budget, and I nixed haircut on there, literally. Because like, we can't afford that. We're getting much of it. He looked at me and he said, Tyler, you cannot preach without getting a haircut. <laughs> I said, what, Pat? He said, put the, put the haircut back on there. Ashley's not cutting your hair, you know. And, um, and I remember that. I was like, okay, like, here's Pat. I put him in my place about put the haircut on there, you know. But guys, it was humbling. But what if you did that? So here, here's, here's a dare. I'm not saying 75, okay? I'm going to help you out here. Two people. The dare is, um, would you actually ask two people who are trustworthy, that care about you, to open up your finances to them? And not like next January, like now. Not like now, now, but like now, later, okay? Would you do that? Would you actually say, hey, Here's where we are. And so, you know, speak into it. I'm willing to hear encouragement and correction. Don't do it with, like, just say I'm doing good. Because that's not really being honest and humble. You just want to get puffed up. See, that's called pride. Right? But if you want to be humbled, it's like, uh, why are you doing that? It's like, I don't have a good answer for that. Let's talk that through. Right? Truth number five. Here we go. God is our provider. Thank Jesus. You can actually add that part, thank Jesus, because that is good. God is our provider, Luke 12, 28 to 31. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat or what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of this world seek after these things, and your Father knows what you need, that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will add, be added to you. I think Andrew mentioned this, Chris mentioned this. Seek his kingdom, and all this stuff will be added to you. Did you know the Father knows what you need? But I'm not sure we know what we need, right? I mean, he actually knows what we need. We think we know what we need, but usually we're wrong. 
right? But God, he actually can be trusted. You know, um, if God is our provider, we need to have like a fresh revelation of his provision. Um, I shared this story a few years ago, but about four years ago, I was invited to go to a conference in Virginia. And this conference was really centered around how are business people and ministries, marketplace and ministries going to pull together the resources and the labor force to see the unreached people groups of the earth reached. Meaning people have not had the gospel brought to them as a nation, as a people group. There's no church established. There's no known believers. How are we going to get to them, right? So I'm at this conference, and most of the people at this 1,000-person conference were in the marketplace or business people, and they were more so focused on the resources. And I remember at this conference, this man named Paul Eshelman, who's actually the Jesus Film Project. If you've heard of the Jesus Film, they take them, these backpacks, into the bush in different places, and they literally can set it up in 10 minutes, and it's got speakers that can blast where 10,000 people can hear. It's this crazy technology. It can reach people in a field. It's got a screen set up. It's solar-powered, and they set up, it used to be this old projector thing. You could lug in this huge kind of equipment deal. You can literally walk in to the mountains, take the backpack off, and in 10 minutes be set up. They can show the Jesus film. People can hear it in their language. It got translated into hundreds and hundreds of languages all over the world. They can watch it in their language, see, the, see Jesus, who he really is, and usually tons of people come to faith in Christ because it's a visual, it's an audio. Okay, it's the whole deal, right? So Paul's talking about this, and they just developed this new backpack technology. They spent tons of money to get it there. Now, if you saw these things, we actually have one of them. If you see them, they're quite incredible. But everything's packed in his backpack, and he's up there talking, and he's pretty fired up. He's like, hey, look, we're interested in reaching the unreached, not just making cool products. So if anyone in this room needs one of these or several of these, you just come up and talk to me at this conference afterwards. So we're sitting, I'm sitting there with Don Steadman, who's, who's the head of kind of Antioch uh, church planning over uh, around the world, and a couple other guys. We're sitting there, and we're like, hey, we need to go talk to him. So we go talk to him afterwards, and anyways, we had talked to him and said, hey, can, can, you know, could we have like three or four of these? We just want to start and kind of see how they work and get them, to the, to get them into the hands of our people. And so he's like, I bet we can make that happen. We're like, we're feeling pretty good about ourselves. Like, hey, we asked for three or four. This is great. He's going to give them to us. These things are like, I don't know, $5,000 or something like that. And um, so like, cool. So we walk away. We're sitting out in the lobby hanging out, just the four of us. And this other guy, Eric, who we had met early in the conference, walks up to us. We're like, hey, Eric, how you doing? He's like, good. And um, Eric works in the Middle East, predominantly in the, in the Muslim world. And, um, and uh, we talked to him. He said, hey, Eric. He said, what do you, you think about what Paul said about all these kind of free kind of uh, backpack things he's going to give away? He said, no, I'm, I'm down for that. We said, well, hey, are you going to get any? He said, yeah. We said, well, did you talk to him? He said, yeah, I did. I asked him for 40000 And we, I kid you not, every one of us, our jaws dropped like. And then we started laughing like, you're kidding, right? He said, no. We said, you asked for 40? We asked for four. You asked for 40000 We literally like, how would you ask for 40000 you know what he said to us? He said this, Ephesians 3, 20, 21. He said, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know what Eric understood that we didn't? As that God really is our provider. We actually thought God was half provision. He does some, we do some. He asked for 40000 and to this day, that is seared in my mind of a man that actually knew who God was and knew he's going to ask for the moon. And if there's a mission to be accomplished, he doesn't really care what anyone thinks. 
You know, he ended up, he ended up getting 200 a month later. He, Paul, you know what Paul Eshman said to him? He said, Eric, we don't have 40,000. <laughs> he literally said it to him. Now, now, Paul has been around the world sharing Jesus and everything. I mean, he's very well connected. He's sitting there. He's like, we don't have that many. Eric said, how many do you got? He said, I got like 250. And he said, I'll take as many of those you'll give me. So I think we got four and he got 200. Okay? But then Eric said, I'm going to keep asking you for the 40,000. So you better start making more. Now, I share that with you to say this. I said earlier, why are we talking about this? Because God wants to take us to the next level of freedom and blessing. I'm not saying we're all wallowing in this level. I am saying there's another level to go to, guys. If you're asking for four like me, it's time to go to 40,000. And if you have never asked for four, maybe it's time to ask for four. Right? If you're afraid of asking God for anything, start there. But I want to encourage this church. This is where God is taking us. He's taking us to a place of blessing and provision, and it's not always financially. And I just want you to go back to this place, too, of we're meant to be givers, not keepers. Any we're asking for is not just for my own benefit. It's so that I can be a vehicle for blessing. God, give me 40000 Why? So Eric can go backpacking every mountain? That's impossible. So he can distribute it to his 50 people he had on the ground in the Middle East, ready to go, reaching people associated with ISIS and the rest of it, and they were going behind enemy lines to bring the Jesus film. I actually heard stories of him a year later. They actually saw several ISIS fighters come to Christ because of that, because they brought the Jesus Film projects in there. He wasn't doing it so he could feel good and be like, look at me, I'm a great missionary helper. He didn't want any reward. I'm not going to say his last name, and you should never repeat his name either. But there are men and women of God out there that are saying, God, I'm interested in fulfilling the mission because you gave us one last command, which is to go make disciples in all the nations. So what are we going to do in our lives, church, to make that happen? What are we going to do personally, tomorrow, next week, at our company, in our personal finances, in our lives, to fulfill his mission, not our personal mission? Do you understand? This is where God is moving us as a people, and there's so much freedom there. So I want us to stand as we close today and to bring the band up. And if our prayer team can quickly make their way up here. Um, two things I want to do with us, all right? Number one, if you're here this morning and um, something I shared this morning, one of these truths is hitting you, or one of these dares, and you're scared to do it, come up and let someone pray for you and give you courage. Say, give me courage to start doing this. Give me courage to start releasing whatever it needs to look like. If you're saying, wow, my faith, I'm always asking for four. I need to start asking for 40,000. Then come up here and say, hi, pray over me. I need the Spirit of God to come upon me to give me courage, boldness to believe again. If you're lacking hope, whatever you need this morning, guys, come up and I want you to get prayer. But also just felt strongly there's some people in this room that have gone off the path that you actually knew Jesus and you've drifted. There's people this morning that have been like the prodigal son. And, um, and he wants to call you back this morning. And so if you didn't get anything about finances, I'm okay with that. But I don't want you to miss this. He's, he's calling you. Um, he didn't run away. You ran away. He, he didn't go dark. He's been there this whole time. And I want to give you an opportunity to come and to know him again. If you don't feel comfortable coming up, that's fine. But I want to pray for you. And I just want to ask everyone, just for a moment, just close your eyes. I just want us to pray. And if you're here this morning, you can agree with me in this prayer. If you're saying, I've gone away, Jesus. I have been one that has run off. My wife is sharing with me just a passage I feel like God was highlighting in Matthew 9, I believe, and just talking about Jesus says to some people, and he says, do you think it's easier for me to say to a man who is 
crippled get up and walk or to forgive his sins? And they were blown away by this statement. And he said, to show you how good I am and that I am able to forgive sins, he spoke to the man and said, get up and walk. Take your mat with you. You don't need it. Take the crush, throw it away. You don't need it. Get up and walk. Do you know God's interested in healing us, not just physically, but in our hearts. And he's able to forgive your sins, all of them, not just some. So God, we just ask as the great provider this morning, if there's anyone in this room right now, you can pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner and I need saving. <laughs> I know I've done some bad stuff, but will you forgive me? And Jesus, I believe you're the only one that forgive me of my sins. And Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross and you rose from the grave so that you showed the power you had to forgive us. Just like the blind man getting up off his feet, Jesus says, I'm gonna demonstrate to you my power. And so Lord, I just pray right now for everyone in the room, anyone that just repented, turned away from their sins and turned towards you, God, would you meet with them right now this morning? Meet with them as we worship God. Just come upon them in a powerful way. The Bible says that when we receive Jesus, he sends the Holy Spirit to seal us for the day of salvation. So Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would come upon these men and women who just prayed to receive faith and you would seal them for the day of salvation. You let them know you are mine. You're no longer an orphan. You're no longer a widow. You're no longer wandering around. You are mine. You're a son or daughter in the kingdom of God. And I came for you and I rescued you. I don't care that you went away. I'm just glad you're back. So Lord, come and meet them in this place right now, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you've got anything you need this morning, be bold. You need healing. You need a hug. You need encouragement. I want you to come receive prayer this morning.